Hello, everybody. Welcome to Hold the Line. My name's Joe, and I'm a British force-free gun dog trainer. You can check out my online courses at forcefreegundog.com. The newest course is called Training the T Drill. You can also pick up a copy of my book called Force Free Gun Dog Training: The Fundamentals for Success, which is available on Amazon's everywhere around the world. There's also an accompanying workbook to record your training sessions in. I'm currently working on a sequel to Force Free Gun Dog Training. And I hope it's going to be out maybe in about six months. We'll see. That's all for now. Let's get on with the show. Train your gun dog without force or fear. Motivate and educate. Hold the line is here. Prevention, repetition, generalization, motivation. Hold the line. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Hold the Line. So this episode. I'm going to talk a bit about platforms and platform training, also known as placeboard training. I guess these terms are used interchangeably. So what's it all about? What's a platform about? Why do we want platforms? What use can they serve us in gundog training? So firstly, I should say that I'm going to be running a Fenzy workshop, which involves platforms because it's about three-handed casting, specifically what I call baby three-handed casting. So this is like what I would do with a little puppy. And it's it involves teaching the puppy to take the casts left, right, back, left, back, right, using platforms instead of using bumpers. So let's kind of unpack that a little bit and what I mean. So Usually, well, three-handed casting. Let's talk about three-handed casting a bit because I think if you're in the UK, you may not even understand what three-handed casting is because it is an American term. So three-handed casting, I don't actually know why it's called three-handed casting because to be honest, there's there are four casts. <laughs> there's back, there's right, there's back left, and there's back right. So there's actually four casts, although we only have three places to cast the dog to, as it were. So I think left and right are probably pretty self-explanatory. You're just casting the dog to the left and casting the dog to the right of where the dog is. So of wherever you sit the dog up, when you cast the dog left or right, they should go left or right from that place. Now, I should add that there is a sort of overlap here between blind retrieves and blind retrieve training, which we've talked about before in this podcast. The idea of sending the dog to the white fence post and the dog holding that line and being able to maintain a straight line and to keep going. So when we cast the dog, we are basically doing the same thing, but the dog is taking a line sort of which is relative to where they're sitting. So we give them that cast and they hold a straight line. Say we give them a left cast. They they go left and they hold a straight line left. And ideally, in an ideal universe, they keep running, keep running on their straight line until you give them another cue or they stumble across the bumper. So... Those are our, that's kind of the, 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 the gist of what we're trying to um, aim for here. And there's a little exercise which evolved in North America, retriever training, which is what we call three-handed casting. And this little exercise, where you sit the dog up in front and you basically teach the dog these casts in a kind of small way. So in a small scale way. Now, 
the difficulty with 300 casting when it is force free is that if we're using bumpers, things get a bit problematic because either we have to prevent the dog from taking the wrong cast using, for example, a long line or check cord. So if the dog tries to go somewhere other than where we've cast, we just prevent them from being able to successfully do that using the check cord. And that's quite punitive. It's quite punitive because a dog can often run hard and then give themselves a hard jerk around the neck if you've got it attached to a collar or even on the harness it can be quite punitive. And that can be a bit of a shock to the dogs. It can be quite aversive. It's also a bit punishing in that the dog really wants to get the bumper and you've just sort of taken that opportunity away from them, prevented them. They thought they were doing the thing that you've cued them to do. They were trying to do the thing that you've asked and they've kind of been prevented from carrying that out. And if that happens a few times, their confidence can be greatly eroded to the point where they can stop taking the cast at all. And they just sort of sit there when you give them the cast and they won't take it. So... The other thing that can happen is if you fail to prevent the dog from getting the incorrect bumper because you don't you don't want to use the long line, let's say, then the dog will often go wrong. So they will often get the incorrect bumper and get reinforced for taking the incorrect cast, which obviously isn't what we want either. So the beauty of using platforms in three-handed casting instead of bumpers is that if the dog goes to the incorrect platform, we just don't click or treat. That's it. It's pretty simple. Obviously, we're going to set everything up to ensure the dog is successful. But on the rare occasion when things go a bit pear-shaped, we don't need to go, ah, no, 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 or, you know, grab that long line or anything like that, because it just doesn't matter. It's just not a big deal. We're just not going to click or treat if the dog goes wrong. We just set the dog up again. We make it easier. We help the dog be more successful. um, And we work in that way. So so there's one major advantage to to using platforms in this exercise over using bumpers. The other advantage is that if we don't use bumpers, then we don't need to wait until our retriever is trained. So we can do this with quite young puppies who may not have a reliable retrieve to hand yet. So it's good for that reason as well. It also gives them, as you get dogs, particularly HPR breeds, for example, who, while they'll keenly retrieve one or two dummies, they won't bring you back like, I don't know, 10 or 15 dummies in a row. They just don't have that degree of enthusiasm for retrieving over and over and over again. And so for dogs like that, doing it with platforms is great as well, because they will often happily be cast to platforms to receive a click and a treat rather than being cast to retrieve. So I hope I've kind of convinced everyone of why platforms are really useful in this exercise. There does come a point when our three-handed casting gets larger and it reaches a sort of a bigger scale where the platforms are no longer practical. And the main reason that they're no longer practical is because, well, I guess the dog won't hear the click when you're far enough away and you've cast them to a platform. And second, you have to walk up to the dog and deliver the reinforcer on the platform. So it no longer becomes realistic for that or uh, possible in that sort of way either. Now, I guess if we had amazing remote control treat dispensers that, you know, if we had three, if we had one on each, one in each location and we could select the one that we wanted to release the treat relatively easily, that would be perfect. And I really hope that one day that equipment will come available because it will be fantastic for someone to be able to develop that so that we can sort of, you know, hang our treat dispensers on our white fence posts at left, right and back, 
press the correct button and have the treat dispenser dispense a treat and then not have to walk up and refill the treat dispenser for each rep because that was a big cue to the dog about where they're about to be sent if they see you walk up and put a treat out they they know they're kind of cued to expect that as the destination for the next cast so ideally we want the treat dispensers to to have multiple treats in them to be able to dispense treat after treat after treat anyway we don't have such treat dispensers available yet um to my knowledge anyway the pet cheaters are the kind of closest thing that we have to this point but they're not quite there so we have to devise other things but anyway this is getting ahead of ourselves a bit because this is sort of large scale 300 casting and what i'm focusing on for the Fenzy workshop is what i call baby 300 casting so baby 300 casting begins inside in your house in a in a smallish room in your house it can be done outside if you have an, an outside area which is more suitable and then the next stage up would be done in your yard. So in your yard or garden, 300 casting there as well. And all of that is done with platforms. And that's what I'm going to be covering on the Fenzy course. And this is really my main use of, of platforms in training. There are other ways that you can use platforms in training. So I'll kind of talk about those a little, a little bit. I do sometimes, if I'm working with a dog which has steadiness issues, like to use a platform for steadiness. So I find that giving the dog a clear boundaried location to place their butt ensures that the dog is more likely to stay there and to be steady than not giving them something to super glue their butt to, as it were. So I find that having something which stands up from the ground, so it's it's distinct, it's not sort of flat and like a mat, for example, which is like level, almost level with the ground, but it's kind of set up from the ground in some way, raised, that ensures that there's a, a clear border to it. And then it's sort of black and white to the dog. You're either within this border and steady, or you're not within this border. So I tend to find that using platform helps with steadiness. I, I find that it also helps the dog develop I don't know what we want to call it, self-control, the ability to self-regulate. But because they are choosing to keep themselves on the platform rather than, for example, not using a platform and relying on the handler, putting a lead on the dog, for example, because the dog, the onus is on the dog to develop the self-control needed to keep themselves on the platform. I find that it kind of builds that self-control muscle better than sort of other, other means of restraining a dog. Not to say that you wouldn't have a lead on as well, but the platform is kind of doing the work, as it were, and the lead is an insurance policy. So that's kind of another way that I like to use platforms, although I would only use that with dogs which have particular steadiness issues and not not sort of routine. Whereas the 300 casting, baby 300 casting with platforms is something that I would just kind of do routinely with, with every dog. Hold the line. So I'm just going to talk you through what I call baby 300 casting. And this is what we're going to cover on the Fenzy workshop in case anybody wants to take that course. So this is going to be a kind of potted, summarized version of it. And I hope you're going to be able to follow it because I'm going to be talking about a lot of directions and things. And I hope it's going to come across in the spoken word and on podcast. So firstly, you'll need three platforms to do baby three-handed casting. You'll need a left, a right and a back platform. And you need your clicker and you need some treats. And I start, as I said, indoors in a relatively small area, um, like the kitchen, for example, and I start with one platform. So my first, the first thing I want to make sure of is, can I cast the dog to this one platform, whether I place it left, whether I place it right, or whether I place it back from the dog? So 
left and right are pretty self-explanatory, particularly if you've already taught the dog to target platform beforehand, which you should have. So it's just basic mat targeting, which is covered in a lot of different dog sports, basic mat targeting or platform targeting. So we're not going to go into that here, but that's pretty self-explanatory left and right. The back cast requires a little bit of extra explanation. I have discussed this before on the podcast, the back, because there are actually two back casts, left back and right back. So you want your dog to turn over the shoulder, which is the mirror image of the arm that you're putting up. So if you want the dog to... Um, so if, for example, you put up your right hand in the air to give a back cast, you want the dog to turn over their left shoulder, which is the mirror image of your right hand, as it were. And if you put up your left hand to cast the dog back, you want the dog to turn over their right shoulder. So again, it's the mirror image. So there are two main ways I set things up to facilitate this. One is that I sit the dog partially rotated in the direction that I'm going to cast them. So if I'm going to cast them with a right back and they're turning over their left shoulder, I'll sit them almost half turned already. So they're kind of, they've only got to turn a, a short distance to go back. Whereas if they were going to go wrong, as it were, and do the other back, they would have to turn all the way around the other way and it would be much bigger uh, move for them. So most dogs will, given that situation, make the correct choice. And through time and through habit and through patterning and through repetition and just through always setting the dog up partially rotated, you kind of end up associating the hand you're putting in the air with the direction that the dog takes. So feel free to always sit the dog up partially rotated whenever you're doing 300 casting, whenever you're sitting, sitting the dog up and walking away to cast them and you know that it's going to be a particular back cast, sit them up partially rotated to give yourself an advantage and to help the dog get things right. So that's the first thing I would do to help the dog take the correct back cast. And the second is that I might, if I was starting things off indoors, sit the dog so that there is a, a wall in the way so that they can't turn the way I don't want them to turn. So I would, for example, use a hallway. So I've got a wall on each side. I can choose to use either wall and I would sit the dog against the wall. So the wall basically blocks the way I don't want them to turn. And the way that I want them to turn is open and appealing for that reason. Now, I used to use the wall thing a lot more and I tend to now really just use sitting the dog partially rotated because obviously it's a bit of a pain in the bum to always make sure you can find a wall <laughs> to be practicing your back casts with. So these days I really just rely on sitting the dog partially rotated, but there does come the occasion when you are working with a dog, which for example, has only ever turned in one direction and is deeply programmed to turn back just in one specific way. And they're almost like their body seems to be unable to, to turn the other way. And so you may need in those situations to use the wall to give yourself extra help there. Anyway, let's say we've done the kind of back casting, then we're going to make sure that we can do that with our, you know, our mats. We can cast it on left or right in our three-handed casting situation with just one mat. So assuming now we have got our one mat and we can do it left or right and we can put it back and we can do a left back or right back and all of that is working really well and there's not much distance on any of this at all. It's only like maybe one or two meters between you and the dog and one, one and a half meters between the dog and each of the platforms. So it's all like, baby. this is why it's baby. It's baby, baby because it's the distance um, involved. So the next thing I would do is I'd use two platforms and I would start with left and right because those are diametrically opposite and it's much easier for the dog to distinguish between them for that reason. So I'd be able to sit the dog in the middle, I can cast them left, sit the dog in the middle and I can cast them right and the dog's able to take the correct cast. 
at this point, by the way, there's no back platform out. So don't put that out there. I'm only working with two platforms at the moment. They're left and right. Once you've done left and right, then I'm going to have left and back, for example. And here we're going to be working on three casts. Remember, although we've only got two platforms out because we've got our left cast and then we've got our back left and our back right cast to the back platform. And then we'll do the same thing on the other side. So the right platform and the back platform. And again, those three casts. Now, there is a little tricky corner to forewarn you of, which is when you're working with a side platform and the back platform and you give the dog a back cast, which is going to turn them towards the side platform. So say you've got your left platform out and your back platform and you give the dog a left back. The dog's going to have to turn, see that left platform out to the left side and resist that tempting platform and continue turning past to go to the back platform. Now, that's a difficult, tricky point for a lot of dogs. A lot of dogs will see that tempting side platform and will be like, oh, I'm just going to go and target the side platform instead. So this is something you have to kind of work through. The two ways that you can make things easier for the dog is sitting the dog closer to the platform you want them to get. So the correct platform, you just sit them much closer to it. So therefore, they're further away from the incorrect platform. And also you standing closer to the dog. So if you're closer to the dog, it helps the dog get the correct cast as well. So there's two different sort of um, distance variables you can play around with there. The distance between the dog and the platform and the distance between you and the dog. And you can kind of manipulate both of those two variables to help the dog be successful and then split and build back gradually until you can sit the dog in the middle and still get your casts correct. So once you've done that with your left and your back, then you would do the same thing with your right and your back. Let's say that's, that goes fine as well. And then you would do it with all three platforms together and make sure you've got all of your casts functioning properly. Once you've done that inside, you would then do that outside in your yard. It's a slightly bigger area. And then the next stage is to do it out in the field. And that's the point why I transition to white fence posts. So that's kind of talking you through that. That's kind of breakneck speed. And that's going to be the material that we cover in my baby three-hander casting workshop, which I'm going to be doing for Fenzi on the, I think it's the 4th of April, but you can enroll from the 22nd of March. So check it out on the Fenzi website when it's available for booking. Hold the line. So I had a little chat with Emma Philby of Anglian Dogworks. She is an IMDT trainer who uses platforms quite a lot in her own classes and training. So I thought it might be useful to have a little chat with her and might give people some ideas for how to use platforms in their own training. Hold the line. I think we're going to talk a little bit about place boards today, aren't we? And I really like place boards. I have certain specific exercises, Emma, that I like to do with my place boards. I'm interested to know what exercises you use them for. But I think before we get into like the nitty gritty, what are place boards exactly? Like there's probably people who have never heard of the word place board and have no idea about what this is so do you want to sort of explain a little bit about you know describe them physically what they are so um a place board is a word for a type of raised training platform it's used in target training um so they stand about sort of three inches high the benefit being the dog can spot them from a distance and it's also a step down for them um and it's got some sort of non-slip surface on top so traditionally it's something like astroturf um artificial grass one of the things i find about them in terms of being 
you know, having that depth to them? Because you mentioned that they're sort of three inches high or so. Is that the dog then, it's very clear to the dog when they're on the place board and when they're not on the place board. So if you have something which is much more sort of flat, like a mat, like a thin mat, it's kind of a gray area, isn't it? As to when, when the dog's on it and when they're not on it. Whereas when you've got this raised, clearly defined border, it's obvious to the dog when they're on it and not on it. And that's important in terms of training, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think with the additional benefit as well, having that sturdy platform is we really want the dogs to be targeting it with drive. If it's something like a mat, what I found is um, they can move in training. And actually, I want a dog to be approaching it really confidently. Um, So having that sturdy base is another benefit. Maybe we should talk a little bit about what uses they can have then in gun dog training. Do you want to sort of just run through? Yeah, I think the most useful thing is definitely with our sit-stay steadiness. Because it has that raised feature, it's a really noticeable difference for the dog. If I'm sitting on the board, good things happen. If I step off, the rewards stop. So we can really clearly communicate to them where we want them to be. Um, also, because we've got that non-slip surface to it, it feels different under their paws. So the surrounding area as they step off is going to be a really noticeable difference for them. So they can work out what works and what we reward as opposed to step off, different feel, nothing happens. And then when we've got this target, um, we can start to use it in other ways as well. So I can put it by my feet in recalls so I've got somewhere where the dog is coming back because sometimes what we see is dogs come back and then they're dancing just out of reach whereas if I've got a target by my feet we can use it in that way um in the same way with our retrieves if I've got a dog that does a little proud parade on their way home um I can put a target in front of my feet and now as well as using it as an angle up on the standout, we can pop it in our feet as a nice clean retrieve to hand on the way back. Um, I think my favourite way of using them uh, in gun dog training, though, is when we do our directionals. The reason being, even with like a really keen retriever, you've got that saying, uh, familiarity breeds contempt. I can use place boards as a way of getting lots of reps in without uh, overtiring a dog or maybe seeing them lose motivation. So, I can send them to a target, whether it be left or right, or go back with the casting as well. Yeah, I use it in that way too. So I use it for the the sort of three-handed casting. I find it's really great because if you use dummies, then you've kind of got the problem that if the dog takes the wrong cast, they can still successfully get the dummy. Like it's very hard to prevent a dog from from getting the wrong dummy if they're really fast and they've taken the wrong cast. Whereas if you're using a mat, then you're not just not going to click or mark that in cast if they if they target the wrong map so i find it's really it's really useful in that way it kind of helps us get off the ground with the 300 casting and avoid lots of you know otherwise you have people going ah no 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 or you know that sort of stuff it all becomes a bit aversive a bit mm. intimidating for the dog whereas when you know you're working with your platform then you've you've not got that sort of concern because you know that even if it goes wrong quote unquote you're just not going to reinforce it um so yeah i really like it in that that's probably the main way that that I would use it. So sort of at what point do you kind of introduce these? Because you run classes, don't you? So so would you introduce these with baby puppies or sort of what what point in your sort of as you progress through your classes would you start to introduce the place boards? Okay folks, it's time for a whistle pause. A whistle pause is when there would usually be an advert from a sponsor. But I don't have a sponsor, so instead I'm going to play you a tune on my trusty Acme 212. 
Now the tune there is slightly hampered by the fact that the 212 is just one pitch, but I hope you can appreciate the rhythm. Now the reason that we've got this beautiful whistle pause instead of an advert is because I don't get any funding for this podcast or sponsorship. I record it, edit it, upload it myself and I pay for the server. I don't want to get a sponsor because then I have to promote whatever business is sponsoring me. And apart from the fact that I think that most dog products are bollocks, I would lose some of the independence and freedom that I have at the moment to say whatever I want to say about whatever I want to say it about. But if you want to support me, and if you like this podcast, then there are some ways that you can support me, which will also benefit you, I hope. So you can check out the online courses I make, which you can find at forcefreegundog.com. And you can also check out my book, Force Free Gundog Training, and the accompanying workbook for it, which is a planner called The Workbook. You can get both of these from Amazon wherever you live in the world. So I really hope you can support me and check out some of this material. Anyway, that is the end of today's Whistle Pause. Let's get back to the show. Yeah, um, I think they're suitable for any age and also any breed. So as well as doing the gun dog training, we do some agility. So we've seen all sorts of breeds right up to like Akitas and Ridgebacks um, go on these place boards. And it's easier for something like a Spaniel to pop itself on. But actually, I really quite like that uh, the bigger breeds have to be quite careful with their poor placements and we can use it to angle them up so say on our marked retrieves if the board is exactly butt sized we can train them to be on our side line them up in the way we want for their retrieves as well but yeah i'd introduce it straight away and there might be other trainers listening at the moment who want to start to use place boards in their classes do you like sort of provide place boards for everybody so if you've got like say six dogs in a class would you have like six place boards ready for them to use when they arrive is that how is that what you would sort of provide people with? Yeah, I found that best. So I have place boards that I use in class. Um, in the past, I've tried to like pair. I think it works much better if like one per dog and handler for sure. Yeah. Um, and then if not everyone's ready to go out and either make their own or buy a place board, I think it can work if they practice on something like a mat. And can you leave them outside? That's another thing. I mean, I've seen some that go kind of moldy and black and, you know, when they get wet, they just don't last very long and they rot. And then others seem to be much more durable outside. So do you have anything to say about that in terms of? Yeah, I think that's super important. So they can be used indoors for sure, but mostly we see people use them out. And that's why we think using treated timber is quite an important decision. While it's not going to be completely waterproof, it is definitely weather resistant. And when we're using it on wet grass, it does sort of improve the longevity of it. So my boards I've had for with my own dog about eight years and in class have been used almost weekly for about three years and they're really good I can hose them down if the top gets a little bit muddy but I've not seen any damage to them uh, using them in that way you know I know you guys sell these don't you so we should say if someone is not up for making their own that they can get them from you mm-hmm. do you want to sort of say about how give your website and let people know how they can get them from you. Yeah. So on all platforms, we're at Anglian Dog Works. Um, we've got the website with the place boards available. Um, if there are any trainers listening, it's up to five through the website, but we have people contact us for bulk orders and we're happy to help with that as well. 
Great. And I saw that on your website, they can be personalized as well. Yeah, no, that's really fun. So um, we use pyrography because all of our products are made from wood, um, which we can either burn dogs names into, which are really popular at Christmas, um, or we can pop some of like business names on and stuff as well. So that's really nice in classes and for photos and stuff. So maybe should we talk a little bit about how to make them in case anyone listening does want to try to make their own? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So how do you make a place board? And actually, Joe, I'm just thinking at this point, is it better to pass it over to Matt? I'm going to pass you over, Joe, because Matt is very articulate. (laughs) I'll check it. He's got some good points. Yeah. Hello, Joe. Hello, Matt. So is it both of you making the place boards or is this something that you mainly, like you actually construct them or how, how does that work with the two of you? So we have a, a bit of a division of, of labour in that I tend to do quite a lot of the woodwork um, and Emma tends to do quite a lot of the, the topping with the artificial grass and things. Um, just because we're in two different places during the week, it's you know sensible for me to just get on with it and make sure everything's chopped so that then during the weekends we can actually spend some some time together rather than just building play sports because otherwise we'd be doing it every weekend <laughs> right so do you want to give us your account of how of how to make a place board well i would start with um some quite weighty timber um because as emma said if a dog's running with drive you don't want it to flip over and, and things like that so we use a three by two and we make sure it's treated timber um you can go for non-treated timber which is a a cheaper alternative but then again if you're using it out outside it's going to get waterlogged and just decay a lot faster and probably fall to bits and um, so it's much better to use treated timber um, the tops are just constructed with osb uh, once again you can't really get those in small quantities i think they're eight foot by four foot sheets um, so they're quite large if you maybe have a friend who's done some woodwork or something and has a, a spare bit of OSB, you could probably get away with that. Um, but yeah, and then we add our artificial grass. And like I was saying, the artificial grass, if you want to get it in small quantities, um, the price per square meter goes up quite substantially. I think some of the stuff that people put in their gardens, which is obviously a terrible and idea for from an environmental standpoint and a biodiversity standpoint because nothing lives in it um i think some of that can retail for as much as 20 pound per square meter which wow. you know if you're going to make two place boards the surface area of two place boards is probably going to be a meter squared so you've just spent 20 quid on on grass before you've even started um we work with a local tradesperson we know who actually lifts artificial football pitches um and we source quite a lot of our stuff from from him and we get it in very big rolls uh, a decent price because it's already been reused and then we reprocess it um and clear out all the sand and things like that and and, and just use that because there's no amount of um there's no amount of money you could pay me to to use brand new artificial grass because the, the stuff is pretty terrible for the environment and you think that the fibers that come off it and, and get into like the war systems and things. It's it's just not not a great thing for for the world, right? And in terms of the equipment that someone might need if they wanted to make their own place board, what would that be? A saw, some screws. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we first started off with we actually borrowed Emma's dad's miter saw. Um, 
because we have a little design which I just worked out sort of um, to minimize the amount of waste because we were obviously buying wooden bulk and stuff like that where we cut our angles at 45 degrees and stick it together like that. Um, but yeah, a, a saw, any saw is good. You could use a hand saw if you, you're a skilled carpenter and things like that. Um, we originally used a uh, just a hand stapler that I think Emma's mum used to put up displays at school. You know, the, the teacher used to go around and pin the All displays right. up with a little hand stapler. We used a little hand stapler to fix the artificial grass on. Um, and yeah, just, just some, some screws will do. They'll hold it together nice. It doesn't need to be like a, a work of art. You don't need to drill holes and dowel it and, you know, it doesn't need to be veneered and varnished and things, but yeah, right. just some screws, some artificial grass and, and some wooden a screwdriver. If you, if you have a drill or something like that. And is there anything else you'd like to add? Hi, Joe. I think Matt put that much better than I could have. Um, yeah, you can find us at our website is Anglian Dog Works. We sell internationally. Um, we're at Anglian Dog Works on socials as well. And if people are interested in getting started, we've put together a course around this. We offer a free trial of the course uh, for 24 hours to anyone via the website or our social links as well. Oh, excellent. So the course that you mentioned, it's, it's not a thing that people have to come and do in person with you. It's sort of an online course is that right yeah we help owners in person and online so our introduction to placeboard course using our signature target method is an online course um and we offer everyone through the website a chance to have a 24-hour free trial of that um when they enroll excellent so it's angliandogworks.com well thanks very much for your time then emma and matt it's been brilliant to chat with you i just hope it's informational with such geeks i feel like we know so much about place boards and there's so many things you can do with them hopefully we can have some listeners getting some place boards and trying some target training and figuring out what they can do with their dogs it's been brilliant to chat with you lovely to speak to you yeah thanks for your time joe Hold the line. Hold the line.